where I see my my doodad. <laughs> really? You can just open them up. Psalms chapter 33, verses 1 through 5. Shout for the Lord, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise benefits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright. All of his work is done in, in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to uh, open our hearts and to come before your throne and sing as though you're, we're singing to you and you're in the room with us for you are. pray that you'd uh, give us this attitude of prayer. Well, friends, we have a, a song I don't believe you, we've introduced to you. So the scripture that uh, Brother Donald just read did say, sing a new song. So we'll obey at least that much and add to it the joy and the, uh, and the praise. Uh, this is called Christ Our Hope in Life and Death. Because he lives, we also will live. You're welcome to stand with us as we sing this, uh, this new hymn. Uh, sing loudly so you can feel it and we can hear it and the Lord can hear it and sing because you mean it. our hope in life and death Christ alone Christ alone what is our only confidence that our souls to him belong who holds our days within his hand what comes apart from his command and what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. Sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess. Christ our hope in life and death. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good, God is good. Where is His grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood who holds our faith when fears arise who stands above the stormy trial and who's the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore the rock of christ or oh, sing hallelujah our hope springs eternal Oh, sing hallelujah, now 
bow and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death Unto the grave what shall we sing Christ he lives Christ he lives and what reward will heaven bring everlasting life with him there we will rise to meet the lord and sin and death will be destroyed and we will feast in endless joy when christ is ours forevermore oh sing hallelujah our hope springs eternal oh sing hallelujah now and ever we confess christ our hope in life and death oh sing hallelujah our hope springs eternal Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess, Christ our hope in life and death. Amen. I hope that was a blessing to you to hear. So a couple of announcements as we get into the service today. Uh, we do have a, a sort of business meeting as I... Uh, considered how best to go about doing what we're doing at the end of service we really can just consider it a member a members meeting in a relaxed fashion so as the Lawlers made their departure so too went one of our uh, dear elders Wes Lawler and uh, they're as I understand it uh, getting a big blessing through other church activities nowadays and what we're going to do um, in accordance with some discussions I've had with some godly men in the church is just seek to uh, set before the, the congregation two brothers in our fellowship who might uh, fulfill the role of an elder and we uh, understand that that requires a congregational vote so what we will do to ensure uh, transparency and, and all the other things is within two weeks from today we will hold the vote for the two brothers I'm nominating now I'm going to say more about them at the end of service. You may know who they are by now, but uh, that's but what you will see if you were to look into your uh, bulletin for today about that business meeting. Besides that, there is no uh, life group meal tonight as we do it every other week. And so we will anticipate big time together next week. And my appetite is all over the place, so I'm not going to pretend to tell you what we're eating. So we will just uh, trust in God to bring about a revelation on that front. Um, other than that, let's sing just a few more. These you know by heart. If you were raised in any church anywhere, uh, great is thy faithfulness.
we sing in church. We're a few here, but we join with a chorus of many countless uh, heavenly hosts. You know that. And in the book of Revelation, there around the throne of God are these four living creatures. And it's fantastic to, to read their descriptions. Um, you know, some have even believed that the living creatures represent the four gospels in, in a different sense. Flying around the throne of God and crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and is to come. And so, this is a classic song beautifully captures the glory of God in heaven just in a small sense and brings it down to us so we can join in that song. It's called Holy, Holy, Holy.
right, friends. Please be seated. Let's, uh, let's just uh, take note of what we came here to do today. So, you know, I happen to think that God works some of his best works in places so small and so out of the way. Not to put any, uh, any adverse look on our brothers and sisters in, in larger settings, but most Christians today who got together as a church body, they gathered in small settings, and in truth, if they gathered for the right reason, they, they came saying basically, here I am to worship, not here I am to network. Oh, that may happen. Not here I am to complain. Not here I am to try to advance my station in this setting or another. But here I am to worship. And John 4.23 says, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. You know, the Spirit there in my view, I think I typed that in. That should be capitalized. In spirit and in truth. And the Spirit directs our attention off of what's right in front of us immediately and higher to the Lord Jesus Himself. I want to lead you through this song. And uh, I hope you'll enjoy it. We will consider this our time of offering. Uh, in simplicity, we might just allow you to bring your offering toward the end of service. I just want you to hear these words. As a 14-year-old, 15-year-old boy, uh, not so sure of life, not so sure of, of where I fit in, in the kingdom, God used this song and many others to draw me closer to Him over time to the point that I was eventually uh, able to see Jesus bearing my sin upon the cross, as the song says. You can sing with me if you know this. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. And here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy. All together wonderful to me. King of all days, oh so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. And humbly you came to the earth you created, all for love's sake became poor here I am to worship here I am to bow down here I am to say that you're my God you're altogether lovely 
Altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. You are God in heaven, and here am I on earth. So let my words be few. So let my words be few. Pray with me, Father. We might have much that we would like to say to you right now. Maybe we would like to say something about pain we feel. You'll hear that. Maybe we would like to say something about anxieties that we feel, that we know. You'll hear that too. Maybe we would like to lament another headline tragedy or another personal loss, and that's appropriate. Or maybe we've come in today with light hearts, with happiness. Maybe that happiness is tied to something great that happened this past week, or maybe tied to something we anticipate this week. Perhaps we've come in here, O oh God, with our hearts set on many things. I've been that way before in church. But let us let our words be few and listen and hear and receive what your word would speak to us today. Jesus is Lord. May we know that. May others know that. May we be concerned and, and driven that they know that and that they rejoice in that. They treasure him. The king of all days. So highly exalted. Amen. Scripture today will be Ecclesiastes 5. Go ahead and turn your way there. Okay, <clears throat> well friends, uh, what we're going to do for the next few weeks, Lord willing, lest other things come up as he would like, we're going to just spend some time as a church family going through a passage of scripture 
that really kind of extends through about two or three chapters of Ecclesiastes. We left off here in June. And I think that was a one-off sermon I gave from chapter 4. But I think we left off uh, messages from chapters 1 through 3 back in April. Now, hasn't quite a bit happened since April. Would you say so? Maybe life has been much the same for you. Maybe you're not marking too many differences. I know that, not to put a blush on a face, one among us got engaged. I know that some have taken on new ministry tasks. And life is complicated in the in-between of all these details. Okay, We need wisdom. In the book of James... We're told, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. He will give to all without finding fault, without reproach. But let him ask in faith and not doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed about. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so we come to Ecclesiastes, a book that if you were to talk to the Bible smart guys, they classify Ecclesiastes as wisdom literature as the wisdom section. That's your Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Given that we've left off, why don't we make a journey very quickly back through what came before chapter 5. And then I'll read you the first seven verses of chapter 5, and we'll move on from there, okay? If you look at chapter uh, 1, verse 1, you find out what we're getting ourselves into here. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And then he says something that's kind of strange for, for an intro uh, lead-in. He goes on to say, Vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. He's going to use that word nearly 40 times throughout this book. Vanity. Now when you think of vanity and I think of vanity, we might think of someone who's unnecessarily showy and pretentious, show-off, trying to draw attention to himself or herself, right? We might think of the way teenagers often get too caught up in the trends and the fashions of the times. And yet, if you see someone who's advanced in years trying to get along with that and, and you're, you're not, you might say, well, maybe, maybe that one ought to act our age or something or act his age. And you might think that's vanity, but that's not the sense of the word here. Vanity being smoke-like, no substance. This is the essence of life under the sun. You can't grasp on to anything and it lasts you long enough to satisfy you for good. Unless it's God. Okay. And he goes through basically cataloging how nature is like a machine. It's mechanical. The sun rises and you can expect to see it will rise again. It's like a machine on repeat. And he says not only is nature like that, the sun and the streams of water and everything, but so too are people. A generation comes and a generation goes. Many of you remember your high school days like it was just right there before you. And now you're looking at the rising generation and you're saying, Oh man, where's the country headed next? And so you're thinking, van you're thinking, maybe he's got a thing here, vanity of vanities. The Hebrew word 
literally comes to us and it means something rising up like smoke, like a puff, like a mist, and it just vanishes off. Now let's, let's get practical about this. Are you still satisfied by yesterday's breakfast? Have you had to eat anything in between? If you had breakfast this morning, I assure you that most likely before you turn in for the night, that meal will no longer be satisfying you. You'll feel hunger again. The laundry will get dirty again and need folding again after you wash it. The yard will grow again and you'll cut it again, won't you? You'll come through some kind of illness, some kind of uh, malady, and you'll feel well again, and then you'll get sick again, and you'll be on medicine again. And We've seen this already with COVID, haven't we? we, hit a, we hit the, it's like the roller coaster chart that you see. We hit the peak, and we thought, now we're coming down, and then what? Oh, we're doing it again, and we're probably going to do it again, and we'll probably do it again. Just the way it is. It's like a cycle. The preacher observes that. Who is this man? We infer that he is most likely, I believe, I'm going to tell you in confidence, King Solomon. And King Solomon, I believe, came back to a position of faith in the Lord in the later days of his life and cataloged for us what all he had seen and observed. And we have this book, Ecclesiastes, the title of which literally just means the one who preaches, the preacher. And he goes through chapter 2, he says, I gave myself everything I could have possibly imagined and asked for. I built parks, I had... Servants, I had fruit trees, I had maids and butlers born to me. I had all kinds of things. Even I had a, uh, it's hard to grasp our mind around it, don't try, even many concubines. He let himself go with every physical urge and impulse that he felt. And he took notes. And then he concludes that in verse 11 saying, All was vanity and striving after the wind. Nothing in possessions could satisfy this man to the point that the next day he could wake up and say, I've had enough and need no further. And then on he goes in chapter 2, he says, I tried living wisely, and you know, that is better than being a fool, but even so, we can understand without a single reference to the Lord God in this section, even so, human wisdom in the end can't satisfy either. And then he goes to rock bottom, he says, I hated my life, I hated my work, I hated where I was, and I just wanted to get some sense he said even in the night the heart does not rest in chapter 2 verse 23 but then he starts saying something and he says it over and over and it's interesting how he says it he says this again and again he says there's nothing better for you to do than to eat and to drink and to enjoy the work the toil that God has given to you now that is a strange thing but let's understand this this book is being realistic in our day and age that is really heavy on amusements and excitement and diversion, let's go ahead and get honest with it. Most of your days are going to be eating something, drinking something, and working somewhere. You're going to eat something, maybe you'll like it. Maybe the drive-thru won't take too long and you can actually sit there and get your biscuit without running late. Maybe the fridge will have what you need in it and you won't have to make an emergency Dollar General run before work. Maybe your breakfast will be good. Maybe it won't be so good. Maybe your dinner will be better And maybe you can have your favorite can of whatever goes with it. Most of you are going to be Mountain Dew. Maybe a sweet tea. So eat and drink and enjoy your work. And then he says, this is from God. Now people are looking for God today. Are they not? 
You'll hear many people who say, if God is there, why doesn't He just physically show Himself or make Himself known to people? And He really is. Only you have to look down in the ordinary moments. And you have to be able to see this, this ordinary kind of day-to-day thing of mine, working, my tasks, my food, just what I do to get along, this is from the hand of God. Let me be satisfied at least that He's given me this much. And so this man who basically built for himself a city of pleasures comes back down to ground level and says, just live an ordinary life and enjoy it. You're going to pass on to one day. Enjoy it while you're here. But then he gives us a poem in chapter 3 where he catalogs there's a time for every matter under heaven to be born and to die and on and on it goes and he lists all these things in contrast that you're most likely going to experience at some point if you live long enough on the earth, including war and peace. And then he, and then he goes on to say that he's observed injustice, he's observed oppression, He's observed that people work because they're jealous of each other. He's observed that some don't even get to enjoy what they earn and aren't sure who they're going to leave it to. They're worried about, is, the, is my kid going to take care of the family business? And then he says, even so, in chapter 4, verse 9, two are better than one. And so he comes to the conclusion, enjoy your life and have somebody with you to enjoy it with. How about that? Now, we enter chapter 5 and we make a hard turn to a new subject. And so the sermon title for today is called Worship Wisely. This is a section where the Bible is going to address worship, greed, government, ordinary things. So we're going to start with worship. If you don't have your perspective square on who God is and who you are, everything that falls after will fall apart. So you've got to start with worship. Now, We've got to carry this passage from, a, from an Old Testament temple worship setting into 2021, and we can do that. Read with me. Chapter 5, verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. For He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. It's like a sandwich. You begin with guard your steps and then God is the one you must fear. And in between are these activities of of the worshiper. Now, let's, let's understand something real quickly here. Uh, this, this is a setting in which the primary capital of worship for the chosen nation of God, Israel, is in the city of Jerusalem, where Solomon is the king who oversaw the construction, the layout, 
the, the uh, consecration of the temple that his father David had designed. David was the blueprint man. Solomon got the contractors together, and they did it. And so it's quite amazing that this, this king, who is watching the first generation of worshipers go to the temple, makes a note that there are actually issues already in the way that they're going about worshiping. Now that's actually encouraging for me in a strange way. Every church from its birth, from its beginning to its end, if it goes through the normal church life cycle, will have from the beginning issues, some of which are visible and obvious and some are not. And that doesn't mean you jump ship and try to find a place where there is no challenge, trouble, or issue attendant among the members. Now, it shouldn't be toxic. It shouldn't be the sort of place that's just worldliness with religious garb draped over it. But it should be said that being in a church setting doesn't suddenly make us all perfect toward each other, toward God. And yet, at the same time, there are a couple of warnings that we need to take, in, take to heart if we're going to worship well. And I'll tell you something, a small church in a country setting can do something really well. Uh, I believe this. A small church, wherever you put it, any church truly, can get the aspect of worship right and make it something that is sweet, biblical, and a blessing. Uh, I had the opportunity to study worship as a concept from a pastor from long ago, 500 years ago in Geneva, Switzerland. I read this guy's book because I'd heard everything under the sun about him, and I wanted to know, not that I ascribed to Presbyterianism, which is the sort of the, the work that came after him. I wanted to know, how was it so that guys like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Zwingli, these people from 500 years ago, got all these worshipers in the church and led them through the kind of change that resulted in them participating and not just having to hear the Latin that they didn't understand, not just having to hear the other language, but speaking to God in their own heart language. And they kept coming and they kept coming and they wanted it and they loved it. Surely not everyone in the cities did, but it was the belief of this. This is the belief about worship is that worship is, in a real sense, something that you do daily and yet, in a narrow sense, something that you set apart and distinctly pursue with God. James says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And so we rightly take a day out of the week to say, this is holy moment. We're going to do the things of God, particularly, exclusively right now. And then you go about your week and you're Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You are... Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. That's your daily worship. That's your spiritual worship, as Paul says. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Well, Solomon was observing people who would come to the house of God, which they understood this phrase to mean the temple. For you, it can mean any setting in which you would like to encounter God as He is. Okay? Let this be for you Hobbs Island Church on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday. Let this be for you your prayer closet or your couch where you have your devotional or wherever you may seek to have a, uh, an encounter with the Lord that draws you out, draws near to Him, and you're changed for it.
And so let's have a couple of things that we make note of. First off, we need to check our attitude when it relates to worship. Check your attitude. Exodus chapter 3, you know what happened in Exodus chapter 3? Your kids learn about it. Burning bush. Moses is out shepherding ordinary day's work, shepherding his father-in-law's flock. He's inherited the family business. Remember, he had killed an Egyptian who was harassing a, a Hebrew slave and ran off to the wilderness in Midian, married the priest of Midian's daughter Zipporah, and now he's taking care of Papa's sheep. And so he's got them in this, in this most likely familiar setting, and he, and he finds a burning bush. And it's burning and yet not consumed. The leaves are still on the bush, and the fire is not sending up this devouring smoke. Rather, it's this glory light we can imagine. And the bush starts to talk, and when bushes talk, you need to stop and check either the bush or yourself. Okay? So he stops to check the bush, and he approaches it when it's calling his name, Moses, Moses. And what is it that the Lord says to him first thing? Do you remember? He doesn't, he doesn't say, I have a job for you. He says, take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Why? Why the sandals? Well, it comes through, it comes through like this. We read it down in verse 2. God is in heaven and you are on earth. Feel the earth under your feet. Pebbles, rocks, irregularities in the soil surface. Feel that you are of the stuff of earth, Moses. Take away your man-made covering of your bare human self, your feet, and stand in the presence of a holy God. Feel that you are of the stuff of earth. God is in heaven and you are on earth. The ground is holy when God is present. And you need to remember, the ground is where you are. And now Moses is doing this unusual thing. I imagine he had never really done it like this before. And he walks up to the bush and then God speaks out and says, I've seen and heard the cries of my people. It has come up to me. You are going to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. You will deliver them and the sign will be that you will worship on this mountain. Now even then, even with the shoes off, Moses had a few objections to that, right? And had, had some bargaining to do. And God uh, went so far as to show him the sign of the... Uh, of his own power, turning that staff into a snake, turning his hand leprous and healthy again. And so Moses needed a lot of convincing. Now, how much more do we in our modern times need to treat our approach to God as if it's something distinct and holy and sanctified? He's no, he's no less glorious today. Perhaps even revealed in greater glory through Jesus. And so we are told... Draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Now, that's an odd phrase, a sacrifice of fools. Have you ever done that? I don't know. Have you ever offered a sacrifice? Lord, I feel today I've offered the sacrifice of fools. I just want you to help me with offering that kind of sacrifice. I, we, don't, we don't really come to this language often. Well, the sacrifice of fools would be a sacrifice where they would like to bargain with God to get Him to get in their lane and get behind their dreams and their plans. I take that from the context where then he goes on to say in verse 2, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. And there we are again. God is in heaven and you are on, you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. When you come 
to encounter the living God and you've got a list for him, slow down and remember he is the maker of heaven and earth and he loves you, yes, and he is high and lifted up above you. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my thoughts above your thoughts and my ways above your ways, Isaiah said. Yes, he loves you. But he's also to be feared in a right sense. I'm afraid today, friends, that our world, and I, don't, and I want to be a place of refuge for people in the world who are tired of it all. But I'm afraid today that our world is this. Our world is so glib toward weighty spiritual matters that attend to the things of the living God from His Word. So glib toward this. Uh, churches are always afraid of being found to be irrelevant of being found to be behind the times or not quite with it enough to attract the right crowd. And let me tell you something, when you begin to build a church on attracting a certain kind of crowd, the moment you take away whatever attracted that crowd, you'll probably lose that crowd. By way of example, it's absurd. It's a really absurd example, but I, I'm fascinated with the old cathedrals of Europe. We went into uh, St. Paul's Cathedral, London. It's, an, it's a newer style, a newer one. Uh, and, and we got to go in for an evening song service. I couldn't understand a word that they said without looking at it on the paper, but it felt really cool to be there. And uh, besides, it was freezing cold out on the streets of London, and so we were happy to be indoors for about an hour. And we were just listening to that high Anglican music. These people marched out in their fine robes, and the clergy were carrying these large scepter-like things. I'm so uneducated. Bless me, I've been through seminary. I don't even know what to call the stick. I mean, they're just stick with a symbol on it. And they walk up to this choir loft and they begin to sing these high Anglican notes. And you're just, you're, I mean, you're, you're sitting there, we're, we're, we're rednecks from Alabama and we're trying to get with it. And we just don't know without looking on the page what they're saying. And yet at the same time, here, here's, what, here's what they got right. The people there seem to really want to draw near to listen. Now here's what they didn't do. They didn't explain the Bible. Not that night. I'm not sure what they do on a Sunday morning. But they, they read through some Scripture, but none of it was applied to your life. And perhaps that happens on another day, another night. But when we come hastily to God to speak, to reason, to bargain, we begin to do things that may turn out to be quite irrational. So we do need to check our words in the presence of the Lord. You know, I've, I've given God some really interesting prayer requests over, over the years. I really have. Uh, just, I've asked Him for jobs. I've asked Him for, uh, to help me get over the scratch in my throat or the catch in my hip or something like that, and that's okay. That's good. But if I come to God and I haven't properly examined my position in relation to Him, He's the giver. I'm the receiver. He is the Savior. I am the sinner. He is the Lord, I am the servant. He is the Father, I am the adopted Son. You need to remember that when you begin to deal with Him in prayer. If you're rash, if you're hasty, you might come only with the sight of your problems, but not the sight of your problem solver. So bring your problems to Him, but remember who He is. He is able. In verse 3, when it says a dream comes with much business in a fool's voice with many words, that's an odd thing. 
you know, I read that and I thought, they're gonna, you know, who's going to wonder about this? Uh, explainer, one who is anxious with spiritual matters can't even get solid sound rest. A dream comes with much, probably would have translated that word trouble. Because in chapter 2, verse 23, same Hebrew word is translated trouble. A dream comes with much trouble and a fool's voice with many words. This is all in the context of an anxious person who is driven by the pain and trouble of the world that you saw in chapter 4, if you go read over that, into the place of God and is coming to bargain with Him and to try to straighten out matters with Him without first beholding Him and adoring Him. So, verse 4 brings up, check your promises. Check your promises. You ever promise God you'd do something? If He did something? I have. Many a time. Maybe at the beginning of the new year you say, God, I'm going to read the Bible every day and I'm going to read it this much and this far and I'm going to read it all in one year. And then something after something after something comes up and affects that approach and you fall off and you find you can't even keep that well-intentioned promise. Not a bad promise. A promise I hope you could fulfill if you make it. But others will come to God and say, God, if you will do this particular thing, I will follow through in this manner. Many people may say, Lord... If you will not let this loved one of mine die, I will go back to church. Lord, if you will not let me suffer in this way, I will get right with you. Young men, especially, I don't mean to discount women who may struggle with this, young men who are addicted to uh, illicit images and pornographic images may say as they're trying to overcome it, God, if if you'll get me through this time, I'll never do it again. You're talking about something that's rewired the chemistry of your brain. It's going to be a daily walk of obedience, obedience, obedience. Fight, fight, fight. You can't just vow that kind of thing away. You've got to measure. Remember, you are on earth. I think that's a vow that comes from a good heart. But in the biblical context, vows were common in the older times. Was there a certain barren woman in the Scriptures who could not have a child and made a vow that, God, if you give me a child, then I will give the child back to you. Do we remember that story from our Old Testament? There's a precious story in 1 Samuel in chapter 1, verse 11. Hannah is grieving because she is one of two wives, and yet she's her husband's favorite, and yet she bears no child. And she says, Lord, if you will give your servant me a child, he will be lent to the Lord all the days of his life and... Remember, Eli the priest mistakes her for a drunken woman. You can imagine he probably had many drunks come up to pray in the tent. And then he says to her, put away your beard. No, sir, no, sir, no, sir. I'm just praying in the Spirit. You don't know the grief. But, but she made God a vow. Did she pay the vow? She paid the vow. Samuel became the turning point leader to bring Israel out of the period of the judges into the age of the kings. He was lent to the Lord. There was a uh, certain young man whose mother made a similar promise in recent years. And if you ever heard of uh, the Campus Crusade for Christ, the great ministry on college campuses, it was Bill Bright who founded that ministry whose mother made a similar promise concerning him. There might have been something prophetic behind it. Campus Crusade went on to be a great evangelistic tool. Brought many people to the kingdom the Lord did through that. 
So we need to be careful what we're promising God. We can ration, them, we can ration with Him. We can bargain with Him. We can come to worship thinking that mainly what we're here to do is, uh, is get according to our terms, but we want to get according to His terms. The vow had parameters drawn around it actually in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21. Vows were permitted. And, and so the law says there, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. Why? For the Lord your God will surely require it of you. And you will be guilty of sin. Now we suspect where it says in verse 5, it is, or rather verse 6, let not your mouth lead you to sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake, that there was a temple messenger uh, a collector, a sort of an IRS agent for the temple who might have come around to collect various vows of which they were aware. The word could also be translated angel. And you don't want the angels getting ashamed of you because you're making promises you can't keep. That could be another application. In Deuteronomy 23-22, it says, if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. Meaning, you could literally go through your whole life and make no vow, and you're, go and, and you're not going to miss heaven because of that. Jesus, knowing our human nature, remember what He said, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Our temptation is to oversell ourselves on promises we can't keep. Many a friendship have I come into, you know, catching up with somebody. Brother, we're going to stay caught up. Psst. Year later, crickets. You got to be careful. The people you love, they need to be able to depend on your character, on your person, on your word. It used to be said, it was nothing but a handshake. It was good enough. I don't know about that today. You know who makes vows and doesn't pay them all the time? Politicians. I wouldn't say I would be any better in the position. I don't know. I think every single one of them, whether, they, whether you think they're on your side or our side, I think every single one of them has got a demon assigned to their back that knows their name and knows their weaknesses and is praying on them day and night. And hence Paul would say to Timothy, pray for kings and for all who are in high positions. You know? But we don't, we don't need to be the sort of people whose words go beyond what we can fulfill. I'm afraid many a times I've had a grand vision about something in ministry and I've gone on to share that with somebody or bring that up and then something else happens unforeseen and it takes that, takes that, that uh, opportunity away. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. It doesn't mean don't make plans. It doesn't mean don't give wedding vows. It doesn't mean that. That's actually a great context for a vow. The wedding vow. That's probably the last place in society where people are still vowing vows. Is at the wedding altar. Keep it. Then we check our desires. God can be angry and chasten us. Here it says, destroy the work of your hands, meaning... God can decide not to give you every bit of blessing that He would otherwise pour out on you if you are the type of person who, or I'm the type of person, who is consistently running our mouth beyond what we can do. We need to reflect Him and His character and His nature in how we speak. That is part of your everyday passage of worshiping Him. But, check your desires. Verse 7 comes along. He says, For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. 
There's the word vanity again. Dreams increase and words grow many. Proverbs chapter 10. Where words are many, sin is not lacking. Transgression is not far. Words, wordiness for some reason in the Bible is associated directly with foolishness. Now this really hit me in an interesting way because I can be honest with you. And I don't know, I don't know, let me, let me try not to be too out of place in saying this. I can talk way more than some people I know care to hear. And I wonder sometimes where the line ought to be. Where do I need to pull it back and reel it back in? Is that what the Bible's talking about? Where dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity? This is spoken to, to us for all time in an age and generation where most of us, if, if not our kids especially, have been raised up saying, follow your dreams. Does the Bible say I should be dreaming dreams? And is there some deeper Hebrew meaning I've, I've got to know for this? Because I read it at face value and I think, is this just telling you to settle down and, and, and settle in and, and not get way too ambitious? Should we not have started Hobbs Island Church? That was a dream. Should we not see great ministries like the vision? That was a dream. In context, we have to take this to mean dreams hitched to selfish desires. Dreams not filtered through the Scriptures. Not filtered through the Holy Spirit. Not filtered through the wisdom of the Lord. Dreams that perhaps have taken many a church into a strange direction. The cathedrals of Europe, I'll go back to that. One of the uh, cathedrals in Norwich, I have no idea where that is, but it sounds nice. Huge cathedral. They said, we want to expose more people to the cathedral. What did they do? What was their dream? How did they, what did they do? What were the increase of their words? They installed a three-story slide at the pulpit for you to go down. Vanity. People filled the, the halls of the cathedral like never before. You better believe if I lived in Norwich, England, I would be going down the slide in the cathedral. I'm still a little bit childish. But perhaps I would have had to stop and say, you know what, this building was built with the intent of reflecting the glory and grandeur of God. These walls the nave, the, the heights of these heights, the way the light shines in is supposed to, when you come in, make you feel real, real small and God seem oh so large. Churches that uh, would like to, from a good heart, make a difference have often kind of veered off the rails in this regard. Christians who have wanted to uh, make a big difference, you, you've got to take your dreams, you've got to take your ambitions and don't lose hold of them Filter them through the Word of God. Filter them through the wisdom of Scriptures and check them carefully. God has used many a fine brother or sister who had a dream from childhood to do something grand for the kingdom. Missions, athletes, singers, ordinary folk like me and you who just eat, drink, and do our work. But they have to be filtered through Scripture. Let it check your desires and ask honest questions. Is this purchase selfish? Is, is, is this career change of mine really a wise way for God to use me? Is my place and service in the church and the expectations I have of the church and the things I want to see in the church, are these drawn straight from the Word of God or are these just 
cultural dreams for the moment that are going to fade away and translate into some new and wild expression after it. Be careful. And uh, worship is a serious business, but it's also a joyful business. It's not something that we come at with a dour, sour expression, but it is something we come at. We conclude in verse 7, God is the one you must fear. We are a people who will speak out of turn, speak beyond what is true of us and what is true of God. We often look at our circumstances before looking at the one who is over our circumstances. And this is, a, this is perennial. This, this is going to keep on going on. And so we regularly need to be reminded of how to worship wisely. So check your attitude, your words, your promises, your desires. Check them through the wisdom of God. And remember this, friends. Jesus has done all that needed to be done for you to be able to worship freely. Do you know that? You don't bring a lamb to church to slaughter to pay for your sins. You don't have to go and purchase doves or pigeons or whatever you can afford and bring them into this setting. You don't even have to count on the money you might give as a way to keep your standing with God pure for eternity. Jesus Christ has borne in Himself every wrong of yours and mine, including our wrong attitudes in worship if we've ever had them. And He has paid it all. Our sin upon the cross, paid in full, risen in the man who carried them is alive, and I know Him. And I talk to Him. I have conversation with Him. But I also fear Him. That trembling trust, that holy awe, that sort of thing that says, you are personal to me, and yet you are infinite. You are here, and yet you are all over. You are God, Jesus Christ. Now then, remember what Jesus said. He said, in spirit and in truth, true worship will be through the Holy Spirit and through the truth that is revealed in Him. And so I want to ask you this. Do you worship truly through the Spirit? Now, how do I know I'm doing that? That's kind of a, a measure of, your, of, of what's in your soul. If you find that you're able, friend, to, to see Jesus as the Bible presents Him, as, as He has been revealed, then you know, you know why you can do that? Do you know why that even works for you? The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals Christ to people. What Jesus said, I will send the Comforter. He will guide you into all truth. He will speak of Me. That is worship in spirit and in truth, when you are able to set aside whatever anxiety or concern comes from a selfish place and see Jesus crucified and risen, He loves you. He really does love you. And He loves you so very much that He will keep His promises. He has never vowed a vow that He will not pay good on no matter what you and I have done. That's good news. That's good news. A bunch of people live this way and that way and they don't know that. Do that. So what are we going to do about them? You can write about them on Facebook. You can uh, ignore them. Or you can be a refuge of a neighbor. Because God is going to bring people to the point. If you pray for them hard enough, they'll see the point where there's nothing left under the sun and they've got to run back to Him. He is it. He is all they got.
We want to be offering them Christ in that moment. Christ died to save for Himself the people from every tribe and nation and language and tongue. No one whom we imagine. Remember Donald Barnes is uh, sharing Jesus without fear. No one we imagine is too far such that we couldn't realistically see them come to Christ. There's room in these pews. There's room for people to come here and learn how to worship. Try to be a part of that. I like being a part of that. I hope you do too. Um, We need to uh, have prayer. And what we're going to do kind of unique, and we'll be setting up for it, Pat is going to come and help me with this final song. You can get anxious when you think about worship and does God accept you as you are? Does God, does God really want to hear from you as you are? Does He actually love you right where you are? And, you know, I've preached a high vision of God today in, in a sense, and He's still the same God who came down in, in carpenter's garb in Nazareth. You know that? He's still the same man who when the leper approached, when the leper broke quarantine, He reached out His hand and said, Be clean. He's still the same man who would have supper with the refuse of society so that he could draw them out by his presence into the very light of the truth that he came to share with them, that one will bear your sins and pay for them. You can be made new, friend. You're accepted on his terms if you have trusted Jesus for your salvation. Do you have another hope? I promise you that it will fail you if you do. Do you have hope at all? If grounded in the Son of God, it will sustain for all time. Now then, on that basis, yes, you can worship. So pray with me quickly. Father in heaven, may we have assurance that when we come to worship you on your terms, in your place, at your time, in your way, Jesus has paid it all and has made us acceptable. He, he, is, he has opened the door and said, come, my friend. He's a good shepherd and He says, come dear sheep. He's the one who sticks closer than a brother. Help us to worship You daily. God, we leave this place and we go out to six days between the next time we'll assemble for an hour or so on a Sunday morning. And whether we have a drop in the bucket there on Wednesday night, that'd be nice, but whatever else we may do, Lord, may we have a daily attitude. We wake up and say, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Here I am to worship today through my ordinary life that's an extraordinary thing friend if you don't know Jesus why not simple step of faith by faith ask him to be your savior and your lord today best request you'll ever make if you do know Jesus and your worship has been filled with selfish desire with focus on your circumstances without looking first to God, don't carry that with guilt and shame. Simply approach God in a new light. I know, I know that we all can experience what Ecclesiastes 5 has laid out for us in a Christian New Covenant sense. May you have that. Amen. Alright, Brother Pat. We want to lead you all in a song. And uh, Pat and I uh, just looked at a couple of them that we know. And uh, this is going to be a little more kind of kind of have a little different groove to it, because uh, that's what happens when when you get two of us up here. This song is called "Blessed Assurance." We sang that one a few times.
And it's a great one to pair with this message because it's praising my Savior all the day long, not just Sunday, but every day. Stand with us and sing Blessed Assurance. Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine! Salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit. Washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. In my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending. From above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest, I am my Savior. I'm happy and blessed Watching and waiting Looking above Filled with His goodness Lost in His love This is my story This is my song Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior.
time. Praise the Lord. We'll uh, be nice to walk right out of the door and go to grandmother's house on that note. But have a seat, please, and I'll just make a few comments to you about our elders. Uh, what we've got going on here, we are an elder-led church, and you might have been in a church that functions on deacons and a pastor, and that is nice. And, and we don't really have deacons yet. That would be something to, uh, to examine in days to come. It's another biblical office. But in 1 Timothy and in Titus, the Apostle Paul lays out various qualifications for who would be overseers of the church, elders of the church. And really, that's the, that's the pastor's job description in a, in a strict sense. But you can also, throughout church history, we have, we have seen this applied by having laymen function to give leadership, oversight, counsel, spiritual guidance to the church. The only skill they have is they have to be able to teach. It doesn't say they have to be able to teach long. It doesn't say they have to be able to teach in another language, just be able to teach the Word of God. I have two brothers in our congregation. One of them uh, intended to be here this morning, but his uh, staff suffered two uh, illnesses, so he's having to, to fill in gaps uh, this morning at the Vision, and that would be uh, Brother Billy Dunlap. I want to present him as a nominee. And then another one who has been a, a dear blessing to me, teaching uh, us on Wednesday and a few times on Sunday, as Brother Donald Barnes. And so what we will do, we'll leave these brothers open for your questions, open for, uh, you know, just you to kind of personally examine anything you'd like to about them as far as this calling is, is concerned. And the bylaws of Hobbs Island Church state that a business meeting must have a two-week notification prior to its uh, taking place. So what we will do is in two weeks from this Sunday, we will host just at the end a vote. We will let it be a vote by anonymous ballot. That way it's righteously counted and you don't feel any kind of you know, public visible pressure on any which way. And we'll just run the count and we'll see if uh, they meet the, uh, I believe it's a 70% or more, which that's pretty close in the church this size, but that amount of uh, yeses to serve in this function. The elders serve the bylaws state on a three-year cycle unless God should call them elsewhere geographically or ministerially, at which time they are allowed by congregational vote again to submit for a renewal of term. Okay, They don't have to quit serving. They can submit for a renewal of term, and that would be yet another three years if the elder would seek it and the congregation would so allow it. And uh, if you have questions about what exactly are we, are we trying to do, you can bring it to me. Uh, I'll tell you what my vision of eldership is, which is really what most of these men have been doing for some time now, only in a more recognized, accountable sense from, from the front as public leaders. We want to see Hobbs Island Church grow internally as disciples right where you are, and also numerically as God would see fit to uh, bring us into contact with people who he would like to have be a part of this body right here, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you have more than just one guy whose heart is daily bent toward that aim, you're, you've, you've come to the point where you quit guiding a barge, now you're guiding a jet ski. And just pray that the wind of the Holy Spirit gets into that. So. We'll just ask the Lord to bless it. Lord, bless us in our search for elders. Bless us in our search for
the men whom I believe you have gifted for the opportunity to fulfill this particular ministry, who have agreed in private conversation with me and with others that this would be a noble task, as the apostle puts it, a good calling. Thank you for Jesus. If we could ever find one better, oh, we could not. He is the lily of the valley. He is the shepherd of the flock. He is the one who truly pastors us. I just serve under him. I'll find none better. Neither will any of us. For his sake we pray. Amen. All right, friends. May the Lord bless you.